bigger boat, but I didn't know how many Jaws fans we had out there. Uh, but anyways, Noah built a pretty big boat, and he didn't have to prepare for some big old shark to get him, but uh, rather he, he got to do what God had called him to do and, and to have a place of refuge and safety, a picture of Christ, a picture of salvation. And we're going to see some of that tonight. But we're going to jump in here. I've only got 30 minutes. We've been talking and praising God tonight. It's already been good. I, I, I thank the Lord for that. It don't matter if we get through all this. That's okay. Y'all didn't expect to anyway. So. <laughs> but let's read verses 14 down through 22. The Bible says, Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark and shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, I, uh, I even I, do bring a flood of, of, the, of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. That's a certainty there, and that's a, that's a frightening verse. But with thee will I establish my covenant. But there comes comfort. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing, of all flesh, two of every sort, shalt thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of every creeping thing, of the earth after his kind, even spiders. That's not in there, but it's, it's there. Two of every sort shall thou come unto thee to keep them alive, and take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee. Thus did Noah, that's faith right there, according to all that God commanded him. That's a life of faith. That is a life worth living. Now let's get into this tonight. Verses 14 to 16, we're going to see the command. Now really this command begins in chapter, uh, excuse me, not in chapter, but in verse 13. I want to back up there for just a moment. If you remember, from verses 1 to 12, it seems like everything is not good. It's pretty doom and gloom. God is grieved at the sin. There has been an incredible amount of sexual perversion. There's been violence. The earth is literally so full that it is overflowing with sexual immorality, with, with violence. And what we find is that both of those things, you would say, well, that's just immorality. It's just fleshly. But it goes much deeper. It's idolatrous in its very nature. Any sin that is committed outwardly, you can rest assured that it has an inward sin, an inward root. Now, any fruit that we find that is sinful, it's got much deeper roots than just the sinful fruit that we see on the outside, right? Adultery on the outside has a much deeper root on the inside, right? There is idolatry, blasphemy taking place. There is pride. There is one who is putting oneself above God's law, above God's commands, even above God Himself, right? But we find that in the midst of such judgment, in the midst of such difficulty, God gives mercy. There is grace by the Lord that is given to Noah. Noah receives and responds by faith. We find this because he lived as a just man, perfect or complete or uh, in his generation, he, he lived blameless is the idea, and he walked with God. You can only do that by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. And then we find that the earth has continued, it's filled, and God looked upon the earth, and we talked about this as we ended uh, the, the last portion, the last booklet, that God now looks upon the earth and finds, behold, it was corrupt. Now this contrasts the, the opening chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2, 
after each day, God looked, He saw, and behold, it was good. Right? And now here, God looks, He sees, and behold, it's not good. Matter of fact, it's worse than not good. It's wicked. It's corrupt. It is it's awful. God is getting ready to take the clay and squash it and build a fresh and a new. God is doing this not out of just wrath or malice or anger. No, He's doing this out of mercy and grace and kindness. That's how God's judgment works. God's judgment never just works out of judgment and wrath alone, but every other attribute and nature that God is It goes right alongside. It goes right together. Every act that God does is good and just and holy and righteous. And it's fair. Yet it's merciful. Yet it is wrathful. Yet it is angry. Yet it is even jealous. Not in the sense of which we use jealousy, but but God is jealous for His people. Even jealous for His creation that they should come to Him. Why? Not because He needs His creation, but because He wants to bless His creation. He has created His creation to have fellowship with Him that He might display His glory. He might display... His very nature of going, this is who I am. That we might get to enjoy Him. That we might get to know Him. That we can fellowship with our Creator. Now we come into this, and we find once more, after verse 11 and 12 that gets just so doom and gloom, verse 13, the hope is that God does not stay silent. God's silence is perhaps one of the most frightening things that there is. But God speaks, and He speaks to a man Not a perfect man who was sinless, but a a man who walked and lived by faith. And he says to Noah in verse 13, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Meaning, there's not going to be anything left alive that has come against me. And now we get into our new passage tonight. We're going to see verses 14 to 16, the command that God gives to him. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Now, this is not wood made out of gophers. All right? And we're going to get into this. There's some mystery about what gopher wood is. You read just about any commentary or any other person that translates, you got some who say pine, some who say cypress, some who say this, some who say that. God just simply says it was gopher wood. Now, here's the thing about gopher wood it was apparently there before the flood. Whether it was there after the flood, we don't know. The flood literally changed the earth forever. What we see right now is not what it looked like then, right? You can picture it this way. What was a, what's a valley now might have been a mountain then, and what was a mountain then might have been the valley now, right? It, it, is, it is impossible for our brains to picture and imagine what it looks like because you and I, we, we know what Hillsville looks like right now, right? We know what Carroll County looks like right now. We can go over here to Fancy Gap and we can look out. We can see Carolinas. We can see the mountains. We can see all this stuff, right? But everything is going to be literally submerged underwater, destroyed. Everything is going to be leveled, right? God is starting fresh. He is purifying. And that's a good thing. God's judgment is a good thing because it shows us that He is the only standard of rightness or goodness because He alone is right and good. Now in verse 14, we see that God commands Noah to build an ark which will provide all who enter in safety and salvation the judgment to come. Now notice that. That is absolutely the case here. The ark was available, and I believe had room for all who would come. But not all came. This is the picture. And what we're going to find throughout this this, uh, account of Noah is that every step of the way, it is going to be pointing to Christ. You know why? Because all of the Bible is getting us to Jesus. 
we've seen this from the very beginning, right? The beginning tells us the ending, that God, in the beginning, God. And guess what? In the ending, God, right? He's going to remain. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And we find that all throughout and in between, what God is doing is He, by His grace, is giving us a way of redemption. And it is not through man's works or man's deeds or man's righteousness because all those things are fleshly. They're as filthy rags. They are of no use. They cannot grant us access to God. They cannot get us even a step closer to God. It is only through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is doing this. We find God's promise, God's provision, God's presence as this overwhelming theme. As God's grace is dispensed, His, His glory is displayed, we find His Word given, His work provided, and His will to draw us and reconcile us back into His presence. And that's exactly what this ark account is about. That though billions, I believe, would be perishing in this, they would be perishing not because God was mean, but because of unbelief. The only reason why these other people besides Noah and his family could not get on the ark is because they would not get on the ark. The invitation was there. The same picture is today with the Gospel. It is both inclusive and exclusive. It is inclusive that all who enter into the ark of Christ may come and may come freely. right? Not even just two by two. If it's just you, you come on. right? God will take care of it. Nevertheless, it is exclusive because you must enter into the ark and the only entrance is by grace through faith in Christ. You must trust, not in your provision, but it was God that provided the ark. You say, well, I thought Noah built it. He did. God built it through Noah. And what we find is that God is using Noah to preach righteousness, to build this ark, to show that there is a better way than the sinful sexual immorality and violence that surrounded him in his day. And we look, and, and I do not believe yet that we are in the days of Noah, but I believe that we are fast approaching. And so what we find is that all around us in our day, we must be preaching the same thing that Noah preached. And that is the inclusive, exclusive gospel, that there is only one way, and you must come, and you can come, but if you don't come, it's not going to be good. The moment that God shuts the door, it's over. That's a frightening thought to think about. One commentator writes about this section. He says, There are important similarities between the story of Noah's building of the ark, the creation account in Genesis 1, and the building of the tabernacle in Exodus 25. Each of these accounts follow a similar pattern of events. One, God speaks. Two, God commands an action. Three, the action is carried out. Four, according to God's command. These three narratives conclude with the making of a blessing, and two of them record the making of a divinely ordained covenant. Noah, like Moses, followed God's commands faithfully and found salvation and blessing in God's covenant. God's grace reveals the way man must believe by faith in response to God. And what we find is that in, by grace through faith, it is a blessing. It is a blessing that we're not saved by our works. It is a blessing that Noah was not saved by the work of his own hands. You think if anybody could have boasted and said, well, we survived the flood because I built that boat. No, Noah said, it's because of God. God's the one that told me the flood was coming in the first place. Then God was the one that told me to build a boat. Then God was the one that told me how to build a boat. Then God was the one that got the animals to me and, and said then to me, as we'll get into in chapter 7, you come in. Why? Because God's already there. His presence is there, inviting Noah, come in, and he must take that step along with his family and all who would freely enter, and it would only be him 
and His family. That's the sad reality of our day. As we get into this, we've got to see here that with these things from creation to the ark, even to the tabernacle, which would have the ark of the covenant, what we find is that all these things are really boiling down to the same thing. It is showing that man cannot save himself, man is separated from God, and that there must be another way that man cannot provide, but that God must provide. And when God provides it, man must then, and man's only hope is to respond by faith to what God has given. That's by grace through faith. It's never not been that way. It will always be that way. No one is saved outside of grace through faith. Now what we find is that all these things, though, show us as well the presence of God because that has always been the will of God. In creation, we find God's presence in the very first verse, in the beginning, God, He's there. He's not just, He didn't poof and then, I think I'll make something. No, He already was there, right? The self-existing, unchanging, unending God creates. And then, what do we find? He creates a man who he knowing will sin against him still dwells and abides with him and has fellowship with him and gives him his presence. He gives him his promise. And then when man did sin, he gave him a provision. He made a way that was far greater than fig leaves and a tree to hide behind. He gave him a coat of skin, which certainly shows the implication that God himself is the one that, that took life to cover the life of the guilty one. What is that pointing to? Matter of fact, it's not pointing to a what, it's pointing to a who, it's pointing to Christ. How about the tabernacle? What was it a picture of? Man's separation. There was only one that could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he could only do that one time a year, and if he didn't do it the right way, he was going to dead, and they got to drag him out by a rope. That's not good. What does that mean? It means that man was separated, but yet God still said, my presence is available, but you must come my way. And God's way has always been by grace, through faith, and the shedding of blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. What did the tabernacle point to? Not a what, but a who. It pointed to Christ. This Bible is about Jesus. It is not about the characters in it. It is about God revealing Himself to man, to draw man to Himself, so that one day we can get to a Revelation 21 and 22 where there will be no more curse, and we shall be His people, and He shall be our God, and we shall abide together in His presence forever. That's God's will for your life. It's quite simple. Noah saw this. This is why Noah was a man like one before him, Enoch, who walked with God by faith. Now, the beautiful thing about God saying this to Noah is that while God is ready to judge the wicked, He is also ready to give mercy to those that will receive such by faith. As Sorensen puts it, notwithstanding man's wickedness, God in His mercy had a plan ready to spare Noah and his family. That plan was an ark. God makes a way. God speaks salvation's plan. Who could have planned salvation like God? None. You and I could not have planned it this way. Matter of fact, we would not have planned it this way. Who would have planned salvation for an innocent one to die for the guilty? We wouldn't do it that way, would we? I know how we would do it. We would do it by our own works. And the only ones that would get there are the ones that would meet our standards. This is what's often preached behind many pulpits today on this side and on this side. And it's sad because God has said, you can't on this side or this side. You must come my way because there's only one way. It's not going to be in this gutter or that gutter. It is going to be by a narrow way. And it is a narrow way. And the only way to go through that narrow way is 
by grace through faith. The only difference between the narrow way and the broad way is not grace. It's faith. Grace was given and offered, but it was not responded. Therefore, by the flesh, people continue down the broad way or way to destruction. But those that respond to God's grace, to God's revealing of Himself, they respond by faith. They are allowed entrance into the narrow way and they are kept on the narrow way. God's not going to look down and go, oh, well, they messed up. I'm going to pluck them off the narrow way and place them back on the broad way. God does not do such. We're saved by His character, not our own. Now, any time that God gives judgment, He has already given instructions, requirements, warnings, and an offer of reconciling. You and I are not so much. right? Praise God that He is God. When we find God's judgment throughout the rest of Genesis, throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right, all the way through the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, what do we find? A period of time where God has said, this is my requirement, right? If you do not, right, if you do not receive this by faith, if you do not live this out, here's what will happen, right? If you stay in this state, this is what then will happen. It's going to get worse. And he continues to give warning. Notice, there's even times in Israel's history where he says judgment's going to come, but I'm not going to send it for another X amount of years. Why? That's his mercy. That's his long-sufferingness. It's his patience. If anyone should have been impatient or unmerciful, and the only one that would have right to do so would be God himself. But because God is God and who he is and what he's like, and the only reason why we know that is because he revealed himself through the word and through his son, is that he offers this not just a way of escape, but he lets us know, here's how it's going to be. Here's what's coming. Think about, think about Nineveh. Nineveh was a wicked place. He sends an unwilling man to go to Nineveh. He gets him there. And then he walks in. He says, X amount of days, judgment's coming. You better get right. Right? Now, he probably said it a whole lot better than that. Whether he said it so reluctantly, we don't know. Nevertheless, he preached the word. And guess what? People believed God. Now, Nineveh still later on, you look historically, down the road, apparently, judgment still came and the place was wiped out. Nevertheless, in that moment, in that hour, mercy was received. We find that even in Noah's day, the same. We find it in Abraham's day. We find it in Moses. We find it even in our day that God is still yet being patient. You know why the rapture hasn't happened yet? God's patience. You know why? You guys and myself are not gone and everyone else is just left here to fend for themselves and just to see what happens. God's patience and mercy. You know why us as Christians who have been rebellious and fleshly are still left alive and allowed to continue to serve Him? God's patience. The reason why I'm here tonight is not because I got to, it's not because I'm paid to. It's God's mercy. It's His patience. I would have been far more unpatient with me. I know me. I know me. And it's not good most times. I know you too, because you're like me. <laughs> and that's the great thing is that God knows you and He knows you better than you know you. And He still is patient with you. That's who God is. And we can see that even in a passage like this that shows such judgment. I've got 10 minutes left. There's no way this watch is right. <sighs> Philip puts it this way. A plan of salvation was to be extended to all. And that's exactly right. That plan, as in all ages, foreshadowed the finished work of Christ. Noah was to build an ark and offer a way of escape from coming wrath to that doomed generation. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that wrath is coming in the future? Do you know that there's coming a great and terrible day of tribulation on this earth? Right? Not just lowercase tribulations that we face now, but tribulation. 
literal seven years is going to be bad? Antichrist, the whole thing, right? Yes. Might have gotten you confused. It's coming, right? We know that there's judgment. We know that there's wars and rumors of wars. We know that there's, there's an antichrist that will rise. We know there's all the sorts of things, right? God has told us these things are going to happen. But with that, with all that pronouncement of judgment, with all that hell, fire, and brimstone that is still, in some cases, in some places, still preached just enough to remind us of what the Bible still says that's coming, and that is coming. Hell, fire, brimstone, and then some. The very reason why we can preach a message like that is by God's patience. God is still offering salvation. God has not yet sent the rain, if you will. The boat's still there. The door's still open. The issue of our day is not a lack of people that need inviting into the boat. It's a lack of inviting people into the boat. We get angry because of the sexual sin and the violence all around us that we see like God sees, and you and I think that we're just like God is, so therefore we can just say, God has entrusted us like Noah in these days to preach righteousness, to live righteously. Both are accomplishing the work of God, which is to draw men to repentance and faith in Him, to enter in freely to the ark of Christ. And if they don't, if they don't, they will face everything that we have preached about, but it will be much hotter and much worse than I could ever preach. But the wonderful thing about God here is He doesn't just say, Noah, make an ark and leave it at that. What God calls us to, He gives some details. God leads us in this, and He is a God of order. God knew how the boat would be made long before Noah made the boat. He even knew it before He said, let there be light. That's who God is. That's our God. He's all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. Yet, in the very same sense, what He does is He tells Noah to do this, not because He looks and He goes, oh, well, you know, Noah's a, Noah's a faithful guy, but he's, just, he's not real academic or intelligent. I've got to really nail this down for him. I've got to give the instructions, right? If He gave the instructions to us today, you and I would look at it and go, I don't need instructions. I'll just, I see the parts and pieces. We'll put it together. No. He gives Noah all that he needs to do what he's called Noah to do. We must understand that. What God expects of us, He equips us to do. He enables us to do. He calls Noah and He says, make the ark of gopher wood, rooms I shall make in the ark. He goes through this whole thing. He gives him directions. One commentator puts it this way, Noah was exempted from the extermination. He was to build an ark in order that he himself, his family, and the animals might be preserved. It is the word teva, which is only used here in Exodus chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, where it is applied to the ark in which Moses was placed. Now, hold your finger where you're at. Turn with me to that scripture for a moment. You ain't got to flip too far for Exodus, right? Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verses... I'll just read verses 1 through 5 while you guys are turning here. It says, and there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Why? If you read chapter 1, you can see that the Egyptians had forgotten Joseph. They had forgotten the godly man who saved the day, literally. Not just him, but much of the world. That's what God does with anyone who's willing by faith to simply trust him. And what man means for evil, God means for good. 
Never think that your suffering is worthless. God is working through it just as much as you might think the devil is, and even more so because God is the one that brings about its good and His glory through it. And in chapter 1, it gets worse. They're enslaved. Years have passed by. And now because their numbers have increased so much, right? you guys have probably known this already, I just want to help out a little bit. What has happened is now Pharaoh's going, there's too many of them, so we're going to start killing off the baby boys. Right? Once you know, uh, abortion and infanticide is nothing new. Killing innocent lives has been going on for a very long time. As a matter of fact, we saw that back in Genesis 4. Here's what happens. She hides him, and when she could no longer hide him, now, how many of y'all ever had a baby before? Raise your hand. Even if you're a husband or father. All right, we'll go with that too, right? Okay, there we go, all right? Husband's looking at well, yeah, you, you had the baby. I, I, I was there, saw the kid and everything, right? How long do you think you can hide a baby? They're pretty quiet, aren't they, right? Yeah. All you guys are laughing. Nursery workers are scratching their name off the list, right? <laughs> By the way, if you want to serve a nursery... See Michelle, all right? We could always use some more workers, all right? <laughs> Anyways, free plug in there. You can't hide them too long. Why? They make themselves known. But here's what happens. She took him, for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It says, and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. You think she did this by faith or not by faith? It takes an awful lot of faith to be a, a mother and to raise a kid, let alone to take your kid and just to save his life, stick him in an ark and stick him in a dangerous river, which you are no longer in control of. Mamas like being in control. They do. <laughs> I've been through that. Mom's been through that. We're okay now. It's all right. Mama has to let go by faith of her baby boy. She has to trust the Lord. It says, and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. That word ark is the same ark word that is used there about Noah. Now notice the similarities. Both are protecting someone who is going to be used of God in a tremendous way, that God is going to make a covenant with, that God is going to fulfill and take care of, even though those two men will fall into sin and doubt and unbelief, even after God has done the miracles of which He's done. And furthermore, in the process, He is going to preserve their life, not by their works, but by His provision through an ark. What we're going to find here is the ark's general features and name. The word ark itself, teva, it is literally the idea for it is called a chest. Not a ship. Emphasizes its sole purpose to provide shelter and orderly existence for a variety of creatures. Here what we find is a place, a place for refuge and safety. Noah, Moses' mother, make an ark, and they do so according to all that they know to do. And God had instructed, and they pitch it within, they pitch it without, to save one that is innocent. To save those who will be used of God. Here we find God's providence over the life of Noah, over Moses, and we find His providence over you. 
His patience that He would protect us and nurture us and protect us from the world and the destruction all around us. I'm thankful that we can trust God. I'm thankful that we can trust Him here. We can trust Him in Exodus. And we can trust Him through the personal work of Jesus Christ. Christ is a greater ark. Christ is the true ark. Christ alone is the one that not only saves us from destruction, but sustains us within and provides all that we need while there might be destruction all around us. We find is that we're living in a day that is not just headed toward destruction, but is slowly being destroyed. Would you agree? I don't believe we're going back to the old America. I don't believe we're going to get there. I don't believe that the world is going to get any better. Matter of fact, the Antichrist, when he comes, he's going to promise that it's going to be better. Right? Everybody today, every politician, every, every lady that is uh, doing a, a Miss Universe, right? Everyone's talking about world peace. Everyone is talking about everyone coming together. Well, there's one who's going to do that, and he is the Antichrist. But it will be a false peace, a false unity. Only Christ can bring real unity. Only Christ can bring real peace. What we find tonight as we bring this to a close, I, I, we, we got more to go, but it's okay. We're going to stop here at the gopher wood, all right? What we see tonight is that God has a plan for salvation. But God not only has a plan for salvation, but He has the plan and the power to sustain all those who trust in Him. Do y'all think that being on that boat, if you thought about all the storm raging around 40 days and 40 nights, do you think I'd be a dangerous place to live in? It sounds dangerous to me if you're not in the boat. But if you're in the boat, it's pretty safe. Isn't it? Matter of fact, there's no safer place. I think about this. Do you think that old Nile River, right? We're assuming, of course, in Exodus. Do you think that place was very dangerous? I wouldn't want to swim in it, right? They got alligators and wild Egyptians running everywhere. <laughs> they got naked people bathing in that thing. Do you want to swim in there? No. <laughs> but what we find is that God wants more protected. The safest place on that river was in the ark that one little boy's mother had made by faith. We find today in our world, if you are in Christ, you are safe, you are secure, but you have a purpose. And it is to tell others that there is an ark to get on. And they cannot get on there any other way except by grace through faith. God's patience, His mercy, His grace is still there and freely available to all who will believe. But how will they believe on whom they have not heard? And how will they hear? This is a preacher. We are sent. What will we do? We live in dark days. Dark days are coming, even darker than what they are now. Nevertheless, may we not forget tonight that God has entrusted us with this message. That God intends to use us as imperfect as we are, as unworthy as we are, to tell more imperfect, unworthy people that there is a God who is willing to save them. They must simply believe Christ the ark. I hope tonight we're encouraged and convicted to live as Noah did in his day.
to prepare for the flood. And there is a worse flood coming and it will not be a flood of water. It will be much longer than 40 days and 40 nights. I don't want people to die and go to hell and I know you don't either. And I don't believe that God does either. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. But nevertheless, His judgment will come. Today is the day of salvation. Today, mercy is offered. May we be the instruments of God used to tell others. Time is short. Let us pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this night. God, we thank You for Your Word. God, we're unworthy to even have a Bible, to even know You, but God, it's Your goodness that has provided such that we might know You, that we might receive Your grace through faith. Not just that we might be saved from the wrath to come, but God, that we might be saved to know You and to live with You and and through You and, and for You today. God, I pray that You would help each one of us, Lord, to preach and to live as Noah did. Lord, that we might live lives resting assured that we are safe in the ark of Christ. That we be confident, not in ourselves, but in the Spirit, Your Spirit, who now lives in us to strengthen us, to convict us, to encourage us, to teach us, to enable us to do what You've called us and entrusted us to do today, to preach Your Word. Help us do just that. We love You. We thank You for this time. Go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we will see you all Saturday, 1 o'clock. All right, we'll send out the phone call just to double check. All right, so make those plans and get ready to make some, some snow angels or something.